This empty chair represents the addict who died today, not knowing recovery was possible. Hello. No picture. But hello anyway. You get a picture. <laughs> you get a picture. Okay. Uh, hello. Uh, um, Cole asked me to fill in for her again tonight. She's a little under the weather, but I'm sure she'll bounce back. Thing is, she's so busy all the time. She's doing so much stuff that it's uh, it's mind-boggling. But those of us uh, at the Empty Chair and MVP ASAP and Circle of Hope, we appreciate all the effort she puts into these shows and just the passion she has uh, for recovery in general. Uh, also, you'll be seeing uh, the banner going under the show there. It has all those ones that are sponsoring us. And uh, let's see, our season ends next month. We'll be starting a new season in September. We will be looking for sponsors. It's a great way to advertise, and every dollar that you give towards the sponsorship goes towards a scholarship to get people um, into a good, sober living home. So uh, I hope you would think about that. Uh, also, as you know, as you know, uh, Every Monday, 6.30 at the uh, Quinn building uh, over at the uh, Mattoon Police Station, we have our Circle of Hope meeting, uh, loved ones uh, of addicts. And on the first Monday of every month, Cole has uh, what she calls resource night. And, uh, you know, whether you're uh, in our group or not, you're more than welcome to come down and uh, check out the resources that we're going to be having. Uh, I think that's it. Oh, i got to say hello to my wife, Fran, uh, who's a warrior. Uh, now, we have two guests. I just got the chance to meet them for the first time tonight, uh, so they'll probably be boring and their story will suck, but uh, you know what the hell they hear, so there's not much we can do about it now anyway. But anyway, stuck, stuck with us. <laughs> anyway, this is uh, Mikey and this is Matt, and uh, they're gonna tell us just a little bit about the dark days, and then we're gonna get into the warriors that they are now and what they're doing, and uh, we'll see how it goes. So, you want to bat first? Who wants to bat first? Matt will go first. Matt. Sure. Okay, sure. Matt. I'll, I'll show Mikey how it's done. All right, do that. Let's do it. So. You know, I'm here. I, I was invited by Cole first and foremost. Um, I had just written a book, uh, Centers on My on my Recovery, uh, mostly mostly my addiction, my my last 12 years of my life. Uh, it's called The Duke of Doucheville. And it is uh, quite colorful in language, um, which I will not be using tonight. Um, however, I will share my my experience a little bit. Um, I, I don't I don't get too much into, you know, into the specifics of, of what I've done. You know, it's it's pretty clear. Um, what we do on a daily basis when we're going through that addicted state of mind. I'm no different. You know, I woke up a loser. I went to bed a loser. Um, I felt like a loser. You know, there wasn't a day I woke up that I, that I said to myself, um, you know, geez, I, I really want to, you know, I really want to screw over everybody I love and, you know, ingest endless uh, potentially fatal chemicals and um, lie to people, cheat people out of everything, you know, have no, you know, moral boundaries, have no ethical code and uh you know feel good about it you know there wasn't a day i ever woke up like that but, but that's what i did you know and I, I have to own that today um so my years of using 
you know, my years of using started when I was three years old. I, I had How to old were you? I was I was three when I was using Nintendo, Phil. Oh, okay. Uh, so I had to go see I had to go see an eye doctor. What? I had to go see an eye doctor when I was four because I, I played Nintendo, so I could not physically bring myself to. I got to tell screen. you, you scared the shit out of me because right? we've had so many come in, say nine and ten years old. Three was a it was a new low, so I'm glad at least it was. A sure. different type of addiction. Well, I mean, addiction, you know, uh, lends itself to not only to substance, but but just sure. about everything. You know, I have addiction to sex. I have addiction to anything that raises my baseline dopamine, uh, you know, above a certain level. And, and I don't know what that level is until I try it, unfortunately, mm -hmm. just like most addicts. Yeah, I don't. I don't want to make a commercial, but I have that same addiction to heavenly donuts. Sure. Oh my God. Sure. Here I am sitting here with my my fourth ice. There you go. Today, there you go. You know, there are some addictions I can live with today. Yeah. And there are some I can't. Yeah. And and you know things that uh, deplete me uh, morally. You know, uh, tear me away from my family, bring me away from my daughter. Uh, you know, those are the things I stay away from today. But, you know, my my, like I said, I I first recognized addiction in myself. At a very early age, uh, you know, through the inability to remove myself from certain situations, you know, physically knowing that it was wrong, mm -hmm. you know, and and it's and it, it, this carried through decades of my life. You know, I'm in my 30s, going to my dealer, thinking to myself, "This is absolutely wrong. I don't want to be doing this. I, I, I'm not going. I'm not going. I'm not going." As I'm sending him a text, saying yeah. to myself, and I'm playing in my head the tape, saying, "Well, maybe he won't reply. Knowing damn well, you know, he's going to reply, or that, you know, I'm going to use that as another excuse to, to, you know." To say, hey, well, geez, I knew I shouldn't have done it, or geez, I was really not trying to use today. You know, you justify every everything. Well, and you wanna, and and you're right. That that's not your story. I mean, my daughter basically told me the same thing every morning. She woke up, and she was gonna quit. Yep. For yep. about an hour. Every day's your last. Yeah. You know, every yep. day's your last, and every day you swear to yourself before anybody else. You know, and I, I would be, you know, uh, I would be telling everyone, oh, you know, definitely not going out drinking, not going out doing this tonight. Um, you know, every every addiction of mine, every substance of mine took a back seat when I found methamphetamines. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, I, I was a pretty successful chef and I uh, I won a pretty big award when I was about 28. You know, I won restaurant of the year from the from the globe. Mm -hmm. I had moved on and taken my career to Southeast Asia where I started working in Singapore. Um, I was clean. You know, I was three years clean at the time. I put a, a good run together and uh, I visited Thailand a few times. I visited a few places in Southeast Asia, which is beautiful. I fell in love with the culture, the people, um, the land. It's just everything's beautiful there. And I moved to Koh Samui, Thailand. I was brought there by a, an American chef who had burned out also in recovery on the island. He had, he had flamed out, you know, for his first seven years of partying and then became an international consultant. And he had picked my CV out of or resume out of about 1,500 applicants uh, while I was living in Singapore. And he um, he had me come into Kosamui to open up this beach club called Beach Republic. And when I landed on the island, Phil, I had um, postcards, billboards uh, with my face and my name on it. I, I had uh, my name, my face was on the on the magazine when you when, when I was on the plane flying there. Oh, well, they didn't uh, build you up too much, did they? Yeah. No, no. And, and when you land, you say, Shh, I made it, right? I'm yeah. here. I'm done. I finished, right? I'm good. Like, I can go drink now. Like, this is this is great. So I, um, you know, I started doing the same old things, but. I had never found methamphetamines in my life. I never heard of it. You know, I, I probably had heard of it. You know, I can't recall ever, ever being around it or, or seeing it on the East Coast. And, uh, you know, I, I ingested it accidentally. I, I was, you know, I was actually leaving a club one night and uh, I couldn't find my motorbike. And the, um, the lady boys on the island, they like to get a little, they like to get a little cheeky with all the foreigners leaving the clubs, you know. And I was, um, I was drinking pretty heavily that night and, you know, partying quite a bit. And, you know, next thing I know, I, I woke up. Um, you know, I woke up naked on a on a stone slab in this crazy room. It was like right out of Silence of the Lambs. It was nuts. And um, 
you know, they were feeding me methamphetamines. And, and honestly, from that moment on, from what I had just gone through, I could care less. I could have cared less. If they were giving me more of this stuff, it, it wouldn't have mattered. Yeah. And for the next about 12 years of my life, uh, that was my first love. 12 years. Yeah. I, you know, um, the way I, I, the way I read your bio during, for the most part, during those 12 years, you were working. I've always been a worker when it comes to, um, did you ever try to classify yourself as, uh, <clears throat> a functioning addict oh i classified myself as the highest functioning addict on earth <laughs> i was the i was the youngest corporate fmv director in yeah. the eastern world at the time i was running six hotels and casinos in the philippines mm -hmm. meanwhile i was spending every night with you know um you know god all all kinds of people you know uh, the, the the worst kinds of people the, the type of people that if, if the people that i worked for knew i was hanging out with these types of people yeah. that they wouldn't have believed it well the thing is you could actually afford to be an addict yeah no and they loved it you know, the people that couldn't afford it, you know, they, they stick right to your side, right? You're there, oh, you're sure. their means. And I was, I was a lot of people's means, you know, I was that guy that was, you know, uh, I could, I could spend 20 grand in a night, Bill, no problem. You know, I have no problem, you know, grabbing the money and, and, and having it spent before I even got out the door. Sure. And none of it was, um, none of it was put into, um, equity or, you know, anything healthy. I, I made all that money. I never paid a dime of rent. Yeah. You know, never yeah. paid my rent. I, I'd always say, geez, all right, I'm going to put this aside before the night was over. You know that was gone everything was gone I was, I was you know scrounging for another fix you know and then i became that loser and then my my, my so-called friends were gone you know that happens you know unfortunately yeah, it that does happens. yeah well it's a good way to wean out the uh the field you know yeah absolutely so from uh from the philippines i you know i i had a blessing uh, my daughter was born um i had met a girl in bangkok when i was you know traveling around and living in thailand and you know, I jumped countries just as much as I jumped jobs at that time. And her mother and I met while I was working in Bangkok. And, you know, my daughter uh, was born uh, ultimately in the Philippines. And I'll tell you, uh, you know, I never had any any desire in the world to be a husband or a boyfriend, uh, you know, a brother. Or so I, I, I could have cared less. But but when it came to this kid, uh, man, it's it's a sort of motivation. You know, I describe it as like, you know, ultimately... Uh, I felt like I was looking at my own life from the bottom of my stomach while, while this psycho had had the wheel, yeah. you know, and no matter what I did, I just, I couldn't fight him off. I couldn't, I couldn't get to the top. I couldn't, I couldn't take the wheel at any point, you know, despite this kid was, you know, my driving force. Um, you know, it took, it took, geez, nine years of her life. Um, finally she ended up moving here and, um, it was always a struggle. You know, she doesn't, she doesn't know much, you know, I'm the greatest thing in the world to her. But she doesn't know the battle I've been through. She's a very smart kid. She knows a little bit of it. You know, and I've spoken to her a little bit. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the book centers around her, um, you know, her time living with me and whatnot. And um, can we get into the good stuff now? I, well, I'll tell you what. Good uh, stuff now? Well, uh, let, let, let's at least start where you finally said enough. So my daughter was abducted for the second time. She was taken from me for the first when she was 13 months old, her mother had had enough. Uh, you know, I was traveling around Southeast Asia. I was using, um, I have a tough way time segueing into the story, I guess. So we bounced around a lot. So she was born in the Philippines. We moved back to Thailand because, you know, her mother wasn't really comfortable, you know, moving abroad. We, we had ultimately plans to move and raise her in, in the United States. But, you know, her mother wasn't comfortable because of the way I was behaving in the Philippines. I, I really wasn't home. I was, you know, running around with all kinds of girls and, and drugs and whatnot. So I don't blame her. Um, but at 13 months, she disappeared out of a mall on April 27th in 2012 when my daughter was 
My daughter was born in 2011. So 2012, April 27th, she walked out of a mall in Bangkok angry, and I didn't speak to my daughter again until July 16, 2015. Um, you know, from that point when we reconnected in life, um, I made every effort. I, I paid every bill. I, I put her through international school in spite of my addiction. Uh, you know, I just battled. Uh, it was it was always a battle. You know, it, was, it wasn't nothing was ever so hard as to you know as to manage both ends of that. And um, so, what uh, made you this, finally decide to say enough? So she moved here with me. Oh, okay. Ultimately, um, when she was eight, she was eight years old when her mother had asked, "Hey, listen, you know, you've been doing a good job with these payments. You know, you you you've been visiting, and and you know, you seem to have you know." be doing a good job as a father and she wants to go there more than anything she wants to live with me so this kid had no no dream in the world other than to come live with dad so yeah. i said great and she moved here and we lived in my brother's basement and we battled out of it you know i battled out of it for her uh, you know always fighting my addiction you know putting together two months two weeks one week whatever it was whatever it was that i could you know pay a bill or, or get an apartment or, you know put her get her enrolled into school you know whatever I, whatever i could do i did the bare minimum but i did it Right. And we moved to Boston together. Um, we had a great little place, and we we survived COVID. You know, we went through the two year, the two year stretch where you know travel was banned and you know people weren't going out. And this past July twenty first, uh, we had made plans. I had I'd been on a on a pretty good streak. I had you know been clean for a couple months. Uh, put together you know a little bit of money to send her back to see her mother for a vacation, mm -hmm. and sent her back. And her mother didn't send her home to me. So they disappeared off uh, the face of the earth uh, four days before her return flight. Her mother was skeptical of, of my using mm -hmm. and decided that she was going to, you know, pull her out of my life again. And uh, to my daughter's dismay, she's been torn up and heartbroken since. So I had another relapse just after I found out the good news, uh, like I usually do. You know, I, um, I went for a little ride in the, in the pity wagon and I, I, threw, I threw my dealer out of my house. Uh, I threw a couple friends that were nothing but using friends out of my house that were living in my daughter's room and, and filling her drawers with, with crystal meth, mm -hmm. uh, you know, just gross, just disgusted at myself. So that was this past September 28th and, um, you know, have done nothing but work on, on myself and getting me back in my daughter's life again since. So what do you built up for clean time now? So just about seven months now. Okay. How do you feel about it this time? Different. There's no, there's no, there's no uses left for me. Okay. Uh, I don't have a, I have a desire. I have a, I have, I have the taste in my mouth, mm -hmm. uh, you know, almost, almost on a weekly, if not daily basis, Phil, I don't, I don't care. Yeah. I, I don't give a rat's ass what, what it is. Uh, there's nothing that's bringing me back to it. Okay. And I've never in my life, um, I've never in my life put together the sort of fight that I have. And a lot of it stems from the struggle that I went through putting together the, the, you know, the two weeks, the three weeks and, and always going back and, and, and diving back in. Mm. Well, I'll tell you what, I'm going to hold you up now sure. because we'll be coming back in the second half to uh, talk about the more pleasantries Love that of part. your life. And by the way, folks, um, I should have mentioned it, but uh, you know, if you, you were a live show, if you want to call in, uh, say hi to one of the guys or you have a question uh, you want to call me and tell me to go shit in my hat anything you want to call that's good okay and now we go to mikey what's up guys how you doing how you doing phil i'm good i'm good and pretty much the same thing give us a the streamline you want to know something i don't want you to relive all the years no, you've been doing it i want you to get through it as quick as you can I go ahead you. go for it all right so um 
I was I was born and raised in in Framingham, Mass. You know, my my father and mother. My father was a a political advisor. My mother was a doctor. I had everything I wanted. I just had the authority problem and the control problem from from the young age. So I had this disease inside of me before I ever picked up a drug or a drink. Um, I had a lot of fear and security. And that put me through a lot of trouble growing up. You know, I just couldn't control my anger. Like I said, I needed to have everything under control because I had a big fear of the fear of the unknown, mm -hmm. not having control of the situation. So that got me uh, in trouble growing up. I, I spent my youth and high school and middle school years in juvenile lockups in residentials. I uh, signed myself out at 18 and, um, you know, I, I just started ripping and running. I had a lot of years to make up. I didn't go to high school in my public school. I didn't go to middle school. So I missed out on proms, the parties. So I told myself, you know, now I'm a man at 18. I can I can start to live my life. And, um, you know, I went through over 50 detoxes um, the moment I found drugs, you know, especially especially heroin. That's my drug of choice, fentanyl, mm -hmm. um, IV drug addicts um you know and and for seven years i was in the grip seven years and i'll tell you how 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 bad it was and and what got me clean and you know how i got sober and i was the addict that went to countless facilities and um everyone knew me by my first name i was comfortable when i didn't have any responsibilities you know when i didn't mm -hmm. have to handle life on life's terms that's when i was comfortable put me in a jail put me in a treatment center sure i can follow rules to the team it's not unusual at all absolutely I mean, there's nothing like having structure and everybody deciding what what you're going to do and when you're going to do it absolutely yeah no brain work left that's it you know and um when i got high it was uh i had three modes right it was uh it was getting high being dope sick and chasing my next bag yeah anything else any responsibilities my kid having trouble in school my dad catching health problems being fired from multiple jobs it did not matter my only goal was to not be dope sick my daughter told me that being an addict was the toughest job she ever had in her life it's a 24-hour job you yeah. gotta remember all the lies you tell the sure. people that you take from yeah you gotta keep up it's a it's an exhausting way to live every it day. It truly is. You yeah, remember to lock your doors, too. Absolutely. Oh, but you're, you're kidding me. We, we bought a safe. We locked the doors. Fran used to put stuff in the trunk. Oh, yeah, we're old hands. And you don't on. even think about, like, the pain that you're putting the loved ones through. You know. You know? Uh, um, we don't see that. No. We have the blinders on. When, well, of course. You absolutely. Know? And, you know, and, well, you go ahead. Because the right. second half, we're going to have discussion. Right. Absolutely. So, um, you know, it was to the point. Uh, I got to the point where... Every time I loaded up my needle, I prayed to die. You know, um, I was done. It, it was, it was countless pain. I was waking up. I couldn't start my day until my dealer was ready. Mm -hmm. I couldn't even get out of bed. Um, you know, just couldn't even look at myself in the mirror. I lost, lost the hope of just talking to people with eye contact. I was always looking down at my yes, shoes. Yeah, yeah. Countless jobs. I didn't care about what people thought of me. I only thought if they had something for me, that's all I cared about. I was a Tell taker. Me Did you have it in your mind? that this was the way you were going to die absolutely i accepted the fact that i was going to be a, that's what i meant to say a yeah. facebook post and someone was going to find me with a needle in my arm and i was they were better off without me you know because i take hostages when when i'm in addiction sure absolutely when i hurt everyone hurts around me and yeah. you know and it might not be on purpose but that's that's what the disease's checklist is is yeah. trying to check it off truly, you know yeah I, i'll tell you i'll bet every every 
everyone in active addiction affects at least 50 people, friends, uh, family, where you the were. The effect is, oh, is absolutely. insane that we don't even think about until no, no. it's too late. And, um, you know, I was I was the guy that was going in and I didn't even make it out of detox. You know, I'd get like three or four days in and then my disease would tell me, you know, you're all better. You got this because for the longest time I slept on the mental game. Yeah. I only thought it was a physical disease, yeah. you know, a physical, yes. Good for you. you know, I'll go to treatment, I'll get out and I got this, I'm yeah. done, I'm done being sick. And, you know, every time I left treatment, I had a needle in my arm in less than yeah. 15 minutes, you know, and, um, and then it came to, I can use in moderation. I'll just do sure. it Monday, Tuesday and Friday. No, it was a everyday 24 hour thing. Um, nothing else mattered at that point. You and my daughter and probably so many other people in recovery must have used the same playbook. Yeah, absolutely. You know, whatever makes us win yep. gets us our yep. next. And um, so I had enough. I had enough. And now, how old how old were you when you said I've had enough? Uh, so today is my 18th month of being awesome. sober. I got sober October 5th, 2020. Nice. Um, so, so I'll just say something too. Like I've been to so many treatment centers, I max them out when I was in addiction. So I'd go to them until they said, "You've been here right. too many times. Right. It's not working." Yeah. And I was the addict that, like I said, I take people hostage. So I'm calling, trying to AMA out of a facility. And my family's like, absolutely not. And then I would just go start a fight or get kicked out on purpose. So then the phone call comes. You have to come pick me up from the police station or you pick me up from the treatment center. So it was it was crazy the things that I would put them through and not even think about it in the long game, you know. And um, it affected them so much. And, you know, it, COVID just happened. And uh, like I said, I got to the point where... I was praying to die every single time. Everything has been taken from me. My disease just had that final checkbox to to check. And um, that was me trying to load up and, and kill myself. And um, did you ever have any close calls? I had one close call. You know, I got I got like 12 or 13 days clean. And um, I went home and from treatment, left treatment again. And then I went to the grocery store that night. And just so happens, I saw my drug dealer in the grocery store and, uh, you know, I went home and it burned a hole in my pocket and I loaded up and it was just the tiniest bit, but I woke up to five paramedics over me in my bathroom and my fiance crying. And it was just, it was a mess, you know? Yeah. And I said, Oh my God, it happened to me. It Cause the, for the longest time we think it's not going to happen to me. Absolutely. We're invincible. We're bulletproof. Yeah. Like, my, my daughter used to say, it won't happen to me. It just happens. To the, yeah, they're absolutely. stupid. They don't know what they're yeah, doing. They don't know how much they're I'm doing. a smart drug, drug user. Yeah, absolutely. You yeah. know I trusted my drug dealer like he was the, the trustworthiest yeah, guy in the whole world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you can't trust your drug dealer, who yeah, can, he well, just never be on can trust time. anybody. He yeah. just never be on time, but he was yep. super trustworthy, yep. you know. Yep. And, um, so I, I I called RCA, uh, Recovery Centers of America, because like I said, sure. I've been to all over the facilities. And um, they had what it what I thought it took to get me sober. But um, they told me no. They told me absolutely not. And COVID just started happening. You've been here way too much, man. Just try another facility. We don't think it will work for you here. And I said, no, please, please. And they said, absolutely not. So I went to New England Recovery Center okay. in uh, Westboro. And they didn't even let me in the door. It was right when COVID happened. I walked in with 102 temp. And uh, they said, do you have COVID? And I said, no, my arm hurts. And uh, I gave myself my first abscess. And being a drug addict, I'm my own doctor. Let me just do more drugs. It will go away. It will be fine. But yeah. they uh, rushed me right to Marlboro Hospital via ambulance. They lanced it. I was in the hospital saying, listen, I just walked into detox. I'm a fentanyl addict. I'm a benzo addict. I need help. 
So they lanced it and they kept me in there for about four days, weaning me down. And um, I was scared to to go to the street because I know what was waiting for me. My disease was just waiting for me to walk out a door. That's mm-hmm. all it would take. And um, I called RCA again. And I said, please, like, I need help. And they said, I can't help you. I'm so sorry. So uh, I called Washburn in Worcester and they had a CSS bed because I didn't need detox anymore. They, they helped me in the hospital and they said, we don't have a bed for you tonight, Mike, but um, come in tomorrow. We have a bed for you. Just go home. Don't get high. I walked out those hospital doors. I had a needle in my arm in 15 minutes. Yeah. And you know what? I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. You know, COVID, no COVID, whatever. When somebody is ready to go into a facility, I don't care if they've been to a hundred of them mm-hmm. and somebody says no, or there's no bed that tells you there's something wrong with the system. Nobody should be deprived to try to get help. Absolutely. But it's understandable as well. I'm going to tell you, to me, it's not understandable because how many times did you try? Over 50. You made it though. Absolutely. So what would have happened if uh, on try 45, nobody would take you ever? You'd probably be dead by You'd now. You'd probably be dead by now. Absolutely. So here's the, you'll get the kick out of my story. So so I went to Washburn and uh, I was high. I, I went in high and I went into a residential program thinking I was fooling everybody, tying my own shoelaces. And uh, I went to bed that night and they have bunk beds in their program. And uh, I just got my arm lanced. The infection's still in there. And I rolled off because I was so messed up off the top bunk and I landed on my arm in the middle of the night. I went down to the nurse uh, at six in the morning and I said, I don't feel good. We had another 102 temp and the infection is now spreading. Yeah, but didn't you try to impress them tying your shoes again? Yeah, absolutely. See, yeah. I mean, because actually you're way ahead of me. I got to wear those damn Velcro things, you know. It's <laughs> got slip-ons these days. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, go ahead. I'm sorry. So, um, yeah, so they they told me they wanted me to go to Framium Hospital because that's where my I'm from, and that's where my PCP wanted me to go. So I went over there, and um, they admitted me. I, the sepsis was spreading up my arm, and they lanced it, and they got it out. I was in there for about five days. They weaned me down a little bit again because they were giving me some medication while I was in there for the pain. And um, I left. I got out of the hospital and I was so I had to be in control again. So I said, I'm not going anywhere else. I'm going to RCA Recovery Centers of America, even though they told me no. And if I don't get in, I'm going to kill myself. So uh, I started emailing back and forth and I finally got a hold of Laura Ames. Shout out to Laura Ames. She was the CEO over at Recovery Centers of America. And um, we finally started talking and she said, give me about till 4.15 on this date, which was tomorrow. And if you don't hear from me, then I'm sorry, like we can't help you. And, uh, you know, that day came and we, me and my fiance were driving up to New Hampshire to get cigarettes. I smoked cigarettes at the time and we were almost in New Hampshire and it was like 4.20. And I turned to my fiance and I said, I'm sorry, they're, they're not letting me in. I'm going home. I just got a bunch of fentanyl. I'm going to kill myself. Like, this is it. And um uh, you know, literally, as I said that to her, my higher power came into play. An electronic billboard was on the highway and it said, don't give up. And it said, RCA Danvers. And then literally five minutes later, my email popped and I, oh, I got to bed. That was the beginning. Absolutely. It, it, it was my it was my God shot, you know, because I was raised Catholic, went to CCD as a as a young kid. And um, I always had the biggest resentment with with god um saying if you're real why why am i a drug addict sure. why am i experiencing this pain what is your plan for me so i lost touch with him for for a long time thinking he wasn't real and this is just my world and how i'm gonna have to live it and 
you know, once I saw that sign and it, the, the flip, the switch flipped, it was the, the pain and switch flipped and I was ready. I was right. ready. Every, the fire was lit. The sparkle came back in my eye and I said, I'm going to fight for my life, you know, and I put the same energy into my recovery every single day that I did chasing my bag. Okay. We're going to take a two minute break. Uh, though you guys out there, don't forget it's a live show. You want to call in, ask these guys a question, or just tell them how proud you are of them, like I am. Uh, give us a call. Be right back. Hi there. My name's Phil Leahy, and I do the Empty Chair Show here. And as much as Fran and I have enjoyed doing this show, our real passion is with where it all began, the Circle of Hope, my support group for the families of addicts. I learned a long time ago that dealing with an active addict is just too difficult. So we invite you to join our group, the Circle of Hope. Uh, Give me a call, 978-886-2949, and you'll see our banner on the show anyway. And, and give me a call, find out what it's all about. You know, if you don't think you're ready to sit into a group, uh, Fran and I always invite people uh, over to the house, and we sit down, have a one-on-one, -on -one, and we talk about a plan you'll have to set up, how to deal with someone in active addiction, or, or just give you a chance to vent. So, I mean... If you or someone you know has dealing with a, someone in active addiction, reach out, give a call, take the first step. I promise you that it won't make it easier, but once you understand what it's all about, you'll be able to deal with it a little bit better. So again, 978-886-2949. Just ask for Phil. I'm always available 24-7. Thanks, and we'll see you on the empty chair. Bye-bye. Okay, welcome back to the second half hour of our show. Uh, so we went through the past, and uh, now we're going to go to what's current, what these guys are up to, and they reminded me on how they happen to bump paths. And they're both alive, so apparently it had to be friendly, I'm going to guess. You know, Mikey and I met in, in the strangest situation. Uh you know, Phil, you had touched on me being a, a highly functioning addict. And uh, through my, you know, through my using with, uh, I went into corporate dining as a chef because I, I wanted that, you know, those hours, I wanted my time to use, right? right. I didn't want to be in a restaurant until 12, 12 a.m. So I went into corporate dining. I, I was quite successful. And um, I was successful to the point of running a business, making a lot of money for the business. And I had jumped around a lot and I was working for a company doing very well. Needless to say, uh, my addiction caught up with me and I had stolen $50,000 cash from my employer uh, right right on the verge of me getting a promotion into district management and, and becoming a, a national guy. for this, Yeah, that's for this probably company. not that you, you want to get their attention, but that's probably not the way you want to do wasn't, it. Wasn't the best way. No, you know, no. I'll never forget. But you did get their attention. I did. I surely did. So I walked into the uh, the owner of the company. I walked into his office one day and I, I told him to his face I had stolen fifty thousand dollars cash from him and mm -hmm. that I had a problem and that I needed help. And I, I went to a I went to a recovery program 
uh, out in Ashby, Mass, Spring Hill, and they were very good to me. But they don't really keep eyes on you afterwards. So my company didn't call the cops. Uh, the owner was great. You know, he appreciated all the effort and time I put into the company. He said, Matt, you know, I'm going to I'm going to send you to rehab. You know, I want you to come back and, and, you know, we'll see where you're at. And he gave me a job again. But he said, Matt, I'm going to give you a job at, at Spectrum Recovery in Westboro because it was one of our accounts. So I was now managing the, you know, the corporate, the, the cafeteria dining for uh, a detox and, and a recovery program. Mm -hmm. uh, Mikey was in this program at the time. Okay. I'd like to say that. One of my 50. Yeah, there was about there was about 20 guys and 20 girls um, in that program, and I was very close with them. I, I served their food every night. I was responsible for refreshing this unit, going in and seeing what they needed for refrigeration and things like that, and upgrading them because recovery centers were doing very well. There's a lot of state funding that goes into that 30-day program. There's just not a lot of money that goes into what comes next. Right. So Mikey was part of that, you know, that that 30-day, that 90-day uh, situation, and and we became good friends. He and another kid, Dana. Uh, I know three three people from that from that class that I was overseeing and serving food from have died to this day, and I've watched it on Facebook in a, in a surreal way. You know them just popping up and saying, "Hey, you know, R.I.P., R.I.P." And it's you know, Mikey. I'm I'm just glad it wasn't one of them. But he and I met there, and subsequently, I relapsed uh, right before they moved me on to UMass Medical in Worcester, which was my next promotion as I was now graduating back up through the company. You know, victim of my own success. Mikey came, you know, looking for a job. And I said, uh, I said, yeah, <laughs> you want a job? I'll give you a job. I mean, you know, he was great. He was, he was on that, he was on that upswing, you know, and it didn't take Mikey long to hit that downswing. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, Mikey could tell you the story too, but he come in, you know, looking like a bag of dick every day and I didn't want to fire him. You know, I, I felt near, obviously I know what he's going through. You know, I, I know, you know, uh, the guys that do the downers have a harder time piecing the work together. You know, I was an upper guy, you know, I used speed. I could run around the place and I could work 24 hours a day. Um, you know, Mikey was coming in, you know, drooling and, 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 and he didn't look me in the eye. And that was the day I said, hey, Mikey said, I said, Mikey, I know you relapsed. He said, how do you know? I said, you haven't looked me in the eye in a week, bro. You know, and uh, the next day he didn't show up. And, you know, our next time our paths crossed were, you know, uh, we've kept in touch with each other. Uh, we, we, we stay in constant communication with each other, even through our downtime. And, uh, you know, uh, since we've both been on this, this, this lifelong upswing, it's, um, you know, we just try to stay close to each other and, you know, help each other spread the message, you know, our own stories. We both, we both focus on recovery in a different way. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I think it's good for people to see both ends of it. Oh, absolutely. Uh, tell me something. All right, Mikey, your personal life now. Yep. What's that like? Oh, your amazing. family, uh, what you do? Yeah, so, um, you know, I'm very blessed today. You know, I say I'm too blessed to be stressed, you know, like with the, the luxury life problems, the, the minuscule life problems. Um, you know, my life is very peaceful. I work very, very hard to avoid chaos and drama and uh, negative energy, you know, because that's the stuff I'm addicted to. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a creature of habit. And if I get into the swing of something, it's the wrong thing. I'm, I'm down quick. So right now I have a fiance. Her name's Shannon. I've been with her for nine years. We just celebrated this year. She's a warrior. Oh, a warrior. You know, shout out to her because literally. I think she, there's another warrior sitting out there. Yeah, 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 I thought so. Yeah. You know, they, they hold us down and without her, I'd be dead. You know, she stuck with me through my treatment centers, stuck with me through my incarcerations, you know, and I have a stepson, Noah, he's 11 years old. You know, he's uh he's an awesome kid. Mm -hmm. And um, right now what I do is uh, I am walking living proof of the company that helped save my life. So I am a business development officer for recovery centers of America. 
Well, I had kind of figured they had to do it. I mean, you've been pushing the shit out of them. So. <laughs> He's the poster child. Yeah, me. yeah, you know, yeah. It's, it's cool. So I uh, I get to work with all the hospitals in the Southern Middlesex. Right. And I get to help people uh, get into treatment. And sometimes I get to go in and sit and talk with them and share my experience, strength, and hope and let them know that we do recover, man. It is possible. Like, listen to how bad I got. And, and it is possible to recover. It just starts with, for me, I had to be physically removed from the situation, mm -hmm. um, you know, and you know, I, I run I run young people's meetings in Newton Auburndale um, weekly. I go to about nine meetings a week. Um, my secret formula is paying it forward, just just helping the next suffering. You know, it, sure. it, it gets me out of myself a lot. And um, when I'm out, outside myself, my disease has no chance, I don't think. Well, I'll tell you what, and uh, something you mentioned, getting people in the treatment. I know I've done that quite a few times, helped it's got to be the greatest feeling in the world, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I think the greatest feeling in the world is seeing the light come back on in someone's yeah, eyes. That's yeah. the most beautiful thing. Because I, 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 quite a few of the people that were on scholarship, I keep in touch with also. And sometimes they'll give me a call and tell me something good that happened to them and so forth. And it's, it's like, you know, amazing. No, it is. Absolutely. So what about parents? So um, I have a mother and father. Uh, I don't really talk to my mother. You know, we had a, um, a falling out over 12 years ago. She uh, married a guy that gave her two options. Pick me or pick your kids. She went one way and uh, she hasn't been there for my whole addiction incarceration. So, you know, maybe some point later in life, I'll reach out to her and, and, and make that connection. But my father, shout out to my father. Um, he was my Superman. He was my rock without him. You know, he was he was the, my biggest hostage I took, you know, um, some say he enabled, but, you know, he just didn't have it in his heart to to cut me off and, and watch me die. Yeah, parents, really? But it got to that point, Phil, actually, you know, right at the end of my addiction, he said, please go kill yourself if you want to kill yourself, but don't hurt anybody in the process. Yeah. You know, and he was just ready. That had to be tough to see. Him yeah, for years he was he was waiting on the edge mm -hmm. of the bed, you know, but, uh, you know, I like I said, I understand where he's coming from because uh, I can remember the time my daughter rolled deed and we thought we were going to lose her. Mm -hmm. And we're on the way to the hospital and I'm thinking to myself, you know, maybe this time she does die. It's going to break my heart, but her pain's over. Yeah, absolutely. And, it's, I, and you want to know something? I, I always tell that story because it bothers me so much that I even thought that. You know what? But it's they don't want you guys don't want to watch us suffer no parent wants to watch their kids suffer no, we have no. so high hopes and dreams for our kids yep. growing up nobody wants to mourn the living no, no it's much not. easier to mourn the dead no. and, yeah the and, and, and you're absolutely right and uh and, and i'm gonna tell you your dad's probably the happiest guy in the world because i know me and my wife oh, are the happiest people let's talk about your current my current situation is one i would have never I couldn't have foreseen, uh, you know, the turnaround, uh, the happiness, the opportunity. It stays in the ability to stay small and not become, this is when I say different, I mean different because I live in the solution. I don't, I don't do meetings. Mm -hmm. I, I speak when asked to speak. I go help mm -hmm. people. If somebody asks me to help, I'm the type of guy that I, if I'm involved in recovery on a daily basis, uh, I end up relapsing. You know, because I because I feel like I'm going through life as an addict. Okay. Um, you know, it's not that I shy away from it. I, I just have a different path. You know, my path is one of 
Um, you know, if anybody reads that card totally, it's it's just living within my moment. Mm -hmm. it's, it's being able to know myself more than anyone. You know, I repeatedly did things that I had no chance of succeeding in. Yeah. And continuously telling myself that every this time was going to be different. And it was typically centered around substance, mm -hmm. um, you know, gambling, um, you know, sex, anything, anything that that took me out of myself. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and I just try to know myself today. Uh, I've been fortunate enough to reconnect with a lifelong friend. Our fathers were um, our fathers were actually friends for 30 years at Malden Mills. And she's heard every story about me because, you know, my father and well, mother. That, that brings me back. Uh, it said you were born in um, Minga Valley. Sure. I grew up right down the street from here in Phil, Maryland. I, I used to smoke. <laughs> Maryland, absolutely. I started smoking cigarettes at Super Swirl. Yeah. I, uh, you know, I, I, I started smoking weed down in the Mosquito Junkyard. I used mm -hmm. to push cars into the river. You know, John Banana used to chase me around on his ATV and, uh, you know, get catch me for, you know, hanging out in his farm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, I look back in the good old days when, when you could go <laughs> knock on people's doors over here and throw eggs at their houses and, you know, have a good time. You know, my family came from the projects in Lawrence, my mother and father, you know, my brother and sister, I'm the middle child. They have no, they have no, um, you know, addictive tendencies whatsoever. Sure. They, they've, 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 you know, they've mourned me at times, uh, you know, for most of my life. They're in my life in a big way today. My sister does my editing in my, in my books. Mm -hmm. My brother, who has been my best friend through life and, you know, has just brought him to, you know, uh, you know, pieces uh, watching me, you know, live in his basement and, and, and be this, this, you know, this fictional character in his mind that he could have never anticipated and, sure. and 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 you know as much as it hurt him he just he always say i just know that's not you matt you know, my parents would would lock up their their checkbooks their their wallets their you know if i was coming by it was you know was, what do we got to hide you know and and they were right for doing so yes. you know they're my biggest supporters they're my biggest fans yes. and my father has been the only person in this world who has held me accountable to date you know mm -hmm. he's the only person that did enable me you know, I took my sister-in-law's credit card one day, you know, because I was, you know, running out of gas and I had to get to Boston to get my next bag. And, you know, I was running low on funds and, you know, I, I needed that emergency out just in case. And I obviously knew it was, you know, teetering the line. And, you know, my dad picked me up off the couch and said, get, get the F out of here, man. Yeah. You know, and, and that broke me. So, you know, he's been the only person that's been holding me accountable. You know, I could I could sell my mother a piece of the Brooklyn Bridge, uh, you know, no matter what, no matter how bad I was, you know, this woman just never wanted to. She never wanted to be the reason that, you know, that I ended up dead in a ditch. Yeah. And she felt as if she wasn't supporting, you know, at least a piece of it. You know, if she wasn't negotiating with the addict in me, then she wasn't doing her part, you know. And, and you know, shame on me for using her that way. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, I agree with her just a little because uh, um, the support group that we do. She's listening, so she'll love hearing Okay. <laughs> the support group that I do, we don't enable all right but we don't detach and we don't believe in tough love uh i learned when my daughter was 15 months clean and relapsed and i thought i was going to lose her that i wanted her to know i was going to be there i wanted her to know that if she died her and i were on good so i would visit her every couple of weeks down in the streets of lynn we'd have a little chat i'd buy a coffee give her a couple packs of cigarettes wouldn't talk about recovery or nothing. Uh, just talk about family, old times. And when I left, uh, I'd say, when you're ready, let me know. Six months later, she let me know. But uh, but I know how I know what your mom feels because, you know. You know, throughout my years, Phil, when I wasn't close to home and I was living in Asia, you know, it was probably the love of my mother that kept me from killing myself. Mm -hmm. You know, not being able to piece together yeah. who are the the the. the 
you know, this, this, this person that I purported to be and that, that I saw myself and just falling so far off that scale, mm-hmm. you know, to me was enough to, to take my own life and to, and to sure. not come back from that, you know, and it was probably my mother's love that, that kept me there, you know, but it was ultimately, you know, being held accountable for, for who I am, yeah. uh, you know, as a normal person that, that walks the streets as a, you know, an obligated human that, well, that I'm going to tell you, it's a very tough thing for parents to learn how to deal not only with someone in active addiction, but also with someone in early recovery. Because mm. there's no tough. playbook for it. Yeah, no. they, they can drive you crazy. Parents can drive parents can drive you to use. They look at you and sure. down and, 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 but you know, we have to we have to understand that we created that. I, I created every situation yeah. where I am today. You know, even with my daughter being so far away and being miserable and, and not wanting to be where she is, mm. you know. I, I enabled the situation. I created the situation. Yes. You, know, you know, you control the outcome of every situation in your life. You do. You but know. I mean, you know, <laughs> to me, you know, it is a disease. Sure. You know, don't matter how you got there. But once you're there, you're a very sick person. Sure. And it takes a lot of courage to get clean. Because like you said, it's not the fit. Anybody, any fool can get clean. Mm. But to stay sober, that's a trick. Sure. I mean, I I got clean a million times, you know. You know, you give yourself a pat on the back and you end up right back out there. I can ask you one other thing. Because you don't do meetings, so obviously you don't have a sponsor or nothing like that, right? But you're going to have tough times. Uh, Who do you reach out to to talk to? I have more support than I would have ever imagined. So my wife, who we've been married for uh, two days. Um, How many? Two days. We just got married Congratulations. on, on Tuesday. Tuesday. I don't know if I heard that right. Yes. My, two days. My new wife, who I've known for 30 Lou, years. Lou, isn't that nice? They're spending their honeymoon on the empty chair. Hi, Tammy. Sam, Congratulations. Tammy, now, who, Tammy, come over here. I love to come over here. In. Come over here. She allows me to be the, um, you know, the most authentic version of me. How the apology. hell did he get someone as good looking as you? That's what everyone keeps asking. Oh my huh? god, Tammy! <laughs> congratulations, Thank you. Thank really. You. I don't know how you put up with this guy. I don't think. Oh, no, God bless you. Another warrior. I wouldn't trade him in for anything. Well, well, don't forget. You know, trade-ins can. No. <laughs> yeah, you nothing. can upgrade. I'll, I'll, no. We'll give you good a good answer. interest rate no. too. No. <laughs> <You're the best. laughs> I Thanks, Tammy. I couldn't be more grateful for yes. for Tammy, for my family returning to my life. What I do today is I, I live life like a normal human being mm-hmm. because that's what makes me feel like a normal human being. And I reach out to people in recovery. People reach out to me that are in recovery because that's who I am. I'm an addict. I'm going to wake up every day of my life an addict. Yeah. And I just don't want to spend my life in addiction halls. I have no problem. Um, I, I mean, I've acknowledged and I know exactly who I am. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for me, having to do that and feel obligated in my mind that I have to be sure. there every single day, I'm, uh, I'm the worst when it comes to authority and, yeah. and, and structure and schedule. Well, you know, and to me, it don't matter how you get there as long as you get there. Correct. But I also know that, you know, if you're doing it like that, as long as you have a good support system, because sure. parents can't deal with it on their own and sure. addicts definitely can't do it on I got an education in AA. I wouldn't know who I am without AA. Right. I spent I spent from the age of twenty five to twenty eight putting there that three years before I moved to Asia, you Mm -hmm. know, as the coffee maker, the reader, the 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 guy booking, you know, the booker, 
um, the treasurer. I, I was that guy there at, at, at the hall opening it up and, and doing everything every day. Yeah. You know, at some point in my life, though, I have to get away from that because that part of me, that person that was doing that, as great as he was, wasn't the authentic version of me. You know, I, I have a dark edge to myself. I don't I don't want to lose that, but I don't I don't want to I don't want to sugarcoat it or bullshit it either. Yep. You know, so when I my book to me, that's my fourth and fifth step. There's there's I mean, there's no more self-deprecating uh, words that have been uh, ever assembled than, than what's in those 300 plus pages. Sure. And uh, it's been as, as as much humility as it brings to me. For me, it's it's liberating. Yeah. It's the most liberating thing I've ever done in my life. The people you think that friends leave you. I mean, I've had 200 friends from from high school, if not more, reach out, tell me how proud they are of me, that they, they've read my story that, mm -hmm. you know, and, and they keep me going, you know. That's awesome. You know, all right, here's, now you guys are relatively new to recovery, actually. I mean, you got seven months and you had 18. 18. That's about what I got, you know. He's got 19. Which I'm pretty sure October 5th, this will be 19. I was doing it in my head. October 5th? <laughs> November, December, January, February, March, April, May. <laughs> All right, my about man. That. You're yeah. in 19 months. 19 months. Yeah. Okay. okay. I appreciate that, Matt. But he cuts himself short. You know? Yeah. Well, and, and to tell you the truth, you know, I never even knew I was an alcoholic until COVID. Mm, COVID, and, you know, saved my life. COVID, COVID. Push me over the edge. Mm -hmm. Covid accelerated my process yeah, of, of getting to my bottom did. for sure. Yeah. yeah, and my wife, who basically, you know what, she used to yell at me when I was drunk and like this. This time here, she didn't yell at me. She just talked to me, mm. and it, it sunk. Oh, I shouldn't be building her up so much. I hope that. <laughs> All right, what, what I would like you guys to kind of, because we got about 10 minutes left. Sure. I'd like to know, whereas you guys are not long in the recovery world, mm -hmm. what would you, the seventh or eighth grader who's maybe dabbling with marijuana, what would you tell them from the mistakes you made? How could they correct it? Sure. Show me how it's done. I, I don't know if I'll show you how it's done here because I'm I'm the firm believer and and you have to get your knocks in life. You know, mm -hmm. I, I'm a firm believer that those people that are I I was I was kept from even the mention of narcotics my entire life. I lived in a fluffy life. I didn't know what anything was. I wanted to find out because I felt as though it was being, you know, um it was being hushed. You know, we, right. we well let me ask let me ask you a quick question. You're Maddie in the sixth grade. Sure. Maddie sitting here. If he comes to talk to Maddie in the sixth grade, do you think he can make him think about it? I wish, but Maddie's a really hard-headed guy, and I what about the guy sitting next to Maddie? I would tell him. I would uh, obviously we know, and I'm not. You know, I, like I said, I think it's. I think you know, nature versus nurture. I think it's going to happen. You know, for most people, I just hope that the extent of what they go through, you know, what what they say is, you know, the pain is inevitable. The mm -hmm. suffering is optional. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. if you're going to experience that pain, you know, that's inevitable pain to me, you know, especially if you're an addict, it's the suffering that's optional. Mm -hmm. It's what you do and how quickly you get to know yourself as a person that gets you out of where you are. And, you know, I wish I wasn't so wet behind the ears, but the pain for me was inevitable. That was never going to not happen. Okay. Maddie in the sixth grade or Maddie in the, in the 12th grade or Maddie at any point in time, you know, was going to feel some pain. You believe that? I know that for okay. a fact. 
I, I'll, I'll disagree with you, but like I said, that's your story and my belief. What about you? Um, Can you talk to Mikey in the sixth grade and maybe help him? Yeah, man. You know, going through school at, the, at a young age, like I was always looking for the validation, you know, so I would switch up who I was just to fit in. I was that chameleon, you know, um, blended in everywhere I go and just wanted people to smile and like me and know my name. And I would tell um, myself, man, just don't switch up who you are. Don't don't go chasing that validation. Be your true self. And, um, you know, like Matt said, it's it, there's no preventing drug use, but you can make them aware. And, um, you know, it, I would say it could happen to you. It will happen to you. Because um, for the longest time, man, I thought, I was I was unique. It's not going to happen to me, but I've already had it before. Like I said, I put substances in my body, and um, my disease was brewing. And, you know, and it, and it finally boiled over once I put the first substance into my body. Okay, now let me ask you guys this question: uh, Your parents, mm. okay? Let's say they were educated in substance abuse. Mm -hmm. I mean, how do you think, is there anything they could have done to kind of nip it in the bud with you guys? Let's say they actually knew. So hypothetically, I don't know if my parents could have done any more than what they did. Mm. There's no effort that they didn't make. Mm-hmm. Where they aim their efforts and how they aim their efforts, even I questioned times through my addiction. Mm -hmm. But that was my addiction. That was my self-serving, you know, that was my self-serving, you know, addicted self that was, that was, you know, calling them out, you know, pointing fingers and things like that. You know, there's no, there's no playbook. You know, there's Al-Anon. My parents have tried Al-Anon. I had a drunk driving when I was 17. I got my license the day I turned 16 and a half. I didn't even have my license until I was 17. You know, I was a, I was one step from a habitual driver when I was 22. Mm -hmm. There was no there was no love that they didn't give. There was no attention that they didn't give. There, there was no time I've ever called them that they haven't answered the phone or been there. Right. But what I'm getting at is back then, and I'm going to take a wild guess they didn't because I know back then I didn't. Do you think they thought? of addiction as a disease or just bad choices no my father grew up with the mindset of just put the shit down dude yeah. and since he's been working so he he man he's he, he um the property management lawrence now and, and he works with rooming houses and uh since he's done that his tone has changed from just put it down to i wish there was more i could do matt he firmly believes it's a disease he had to see it through other people he had sure. to see it through people that he would see on a daily basis say the same things i did mm -hmm. you know see it in in so many cases right once you see it you know 10 people tell you you're an asshole you're an asshole right so he had to see it in enough times right to, to, for him to say wow i don't get it right this this guy is is a great you know he, he's gregarious he, he's he's bright-eyed he's amazing the next day he can't look me in the eyes and i don't even know who this person is he had to see that enough times to finally say it. And that's what I'm getting at. Parents, for the most part, right? very, mo you know, there's still a lot of them now that will swear it's really not a sickness. Oh, absolutely. Now, what about your, well, your dad now? You know, um, I mean, growing up, you know, my my parents, I it was weed back then that I was on chins for. And, you know, and because and, weed did for me what, it quieted my mind. It, it, it did everything that I was looking for. And uh, 
you know, I think that's where the chins and then the probation on as a adolescent and then the residentials, just because I kept telling people, listen, I'm not going to stop for my parents. I won't stop for the judge. I told the judge that, um, you know, and that's that's when they sent me away. Did they alcoholism runs in my mother's side of the family? Sure. Um, a couple, her dad died from it. Two of her brothers died from it. So and being a doctor, I think she was aware of it was a disease. My dad's side of the family, no one had addiction or sure. alcoholism. Yeah. So um him as his job he went through life and how he went through life he didn't really cross paths with addiction so he when i started getting really bad he started to learn about it and try to understand the way he could so you can't you can't argue with doctors phil you know it, it, it's 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 a known it's a known scientific fact that you know we make decisions in our frontal lobe mm-hmm. and that our addiction is stored in our sure. campus yeah. and, and that you know that ability to make those decisions is, is no longer ours it's now a matter of, of survival for an addict mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. we had a couple minutes how about a couple of closing thoughts just to pass along to uh, people that are listening? Yeah, anyone that's been on the show today, thank you for listening, first and foremost. Thank you for, uh, you know, if it, tonight's your first night uh, listening to me or, or hearing anything about my story, uh, thank you. Yeah, stay strong. Anybody that's out there that's suffering, anyone needs a hand, you know, call the show. Call Phil, call Mike, call me. My uh, my my information is public knowledge. I have no problem uh, showing up any point in time. My phone's always on, and I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for those that came before me. So thank you. You know, I would um, I always say we do recover. You know, um, don't give up. If if there was any point in my story, man, it, I didn't give up. And uh, you know, I tell people all the time, especially coming in early sobriety or trying to trying to get this, man. You have you have two options in life. You know, it's repeat or evolve and um with the pain man you have to push through you have two options with that you push through it and you reap the reward that you get from pushing through that pain or you quit and that pain is going to last forever you know and um our disease that's where it shines and grinds man when uh when we're in pain and and that's when it's strongest and uh you know don't give up we we do recover we do we do make it out there is a solution on the other end um it is possible you just gotta Closed mouths don't get fed. You got to open that mouth and put up your hand and say, I need help. And there's a ton of people out there waiting to help you. Guys, I want to thank you for coming. I know Cole is probably pissed that she didn't get to do this show, but I'm sure she's watching. Uh, You guys, this is uh, Matt's book. It's called The Duke of Doucheville. Check it out. Duke of Doucheville. Catchy name. Uh, You know what? Oh, that's who uh, I was out there. Yeah. You know, that's who I thought I was, right? Well, he gave me a couple copies. I'm going to give one to Cole, and I am going to read it because we. This is about the fifth or sixth author we've had, and all the books have been amazing. You know, you can go on Amazon, look up all these books. There's a lot of good things. Again, thank you guys. Good luck with your recovery. Thank you, Phil. You, uh, you can, you know, when you're reaching out, don't be afraid to reach out to me. Friend me on Facebook. Everybody, hopefully, Cole will be back at the next show. Until then. See you again on the empty chair. Bye-bye. Later, guys.